Good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Wyatt Teeter, and special guest host, Ariane Berry, as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 154. Courtesy of Kyle, the Colts running back Jonathan Taylor scored as many total touchdowns as the entire New York Giants offense this season with 18 touchdowns. That's pretty sad. Maybe they should get Eli Manning off the Manning cast and back into the QB role up there or something. I mean, would that fix anything in the Meadowlands? Probably not. Absolutely not. But Keep Saquon Barkley healthy. That might make a difference. And maybe have your uh, star wide receiver that you paid a absolute truckload of money this offseason keep him healthy and on the field, too. That would help. And maybe throw him the ball a little bit. You remember last year when there was, like, this controversy that the turf in uh, yes. that stadium was a problem? Maybe there's actually something to it because nobody in the Jets and Giants can stay healthy. Maybe there's something to that. We don't have much of a uh, Cyclone football update this week, mostly because they didn't play. Um, It was the championship game weekend this week, which means that uh, the Cyclones would have played if they would have, you know, played better and been in a championship game, but they didn't, so they weren't. Um, Oklahoma State ended up losing a very tight Big 12 championship game to Baylor. Um, So Baylor is your Big 12 champions. Congratulations, Baylor. Good season. Um, they get a, a cotton ball berth because of it, so good for them. No, sugar ball? Which ball are they in? I don't know. I didn't pay that much attention. What I do know is that the Cyclones are going to the Cheez-It Bowl. Now, the Cheez-It Bowl did move. Previously, the Cheez-It Bowl was in Phoenix, but the Cheez-It Bowl has now replaced the Camping World Bowl in Orlando. So though it's a different name, it's essentially the same ball that they went to um, two years ago when they got smoked by Notre Dame. Um, as far as location and ball pecking order, it's basically the same as the Camping World Bowl from two years ago. Um, that game will be December 29th, a 4.45 um, kickoff on ESPN. Um, Clemson is an early one-point favorite, um, so this will probably be a pretty close game um, throughout. I haven't heard any Cyclones who aren't who are planning to sit out the ball game but I wouldn't be surprised if the likes of Hall, Kohler, Rose, and Isworth might decide to sit out. Um, I, I have no inside info there, just speculation to preserve their draft stock. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't play, but I sure hope they do. That would be fun. Um, but I think this game should be called the Underachievers Ball because if you want a fun fact, second fun fact, there are two bowls this year against teams that are were preseason top 10 teams. The first one is the um, college football playoff semifinal between Alabama and Cincinnati. And the second is this Cheez-It Bowl. Preseason, Clemson was three and Iowa State was seven. So the Cheez-It Bowl has two preseason top 10 teams in it. Um, probably the two teams that underachieved most this year, except maybe Florida. I guess Florida probably underachieved more. Um, than either of these two, but definitely underachieving from those uh, those two teams. Um, we'll fill you in more on the matchup and keys to the game as it gets closer. Um, but the other the other um, cyclone football thing of note is that Matt Campbell is probably staying put at this point. Um, all the major head coaching vacancies were filled um, here within the past week. Um, Oklahoma hired Brett Venables. Notre Dame high promoted their defensive coordinator. Um, Miami hired Mary Cristobal from Oregon. Um, USC hired Lincoln Riley. We talked about that last week. Um, so there are no LSU and Brian Kelly, which we had already talked about as well. Yeah. So there are no unless an NFL job comes knocking that he really likes. For example, I don't know the Bengals or the Vikings. I'm trying to think of the Midwest jobs because um, I know he's a Midwest guy. Um, he's probably staying put. I think Matt Campbell will be around next year, so that's good. We can start or, to put these Matt Campbell rumors to, to bed. 
or Oregon, right? I mean, if you want if you want all of the uniform combinations under the sun at your disposal, Oregon's the best place to do that, right? That's that's true. That is true. You can do whatever you want out there at Oregon, and they can be ugly, and nobody cares because apparently that's cool in Oregon. I don't know. Um, but yes, Matt Campbell is probably staying around, which is good because maybe that means we can be a football school and a basketball school at the same time because this Cyclone men's basketball team is still on a roll. Kyle, you want to fill us in on uh, what happened this week in Cyclone basketball? I mean, I didn't think it was possible, although the football team did have a down year this year. The basketball team seems to be uh, filling the void uh, so far. Um, like Mike said, they're still on a roll. Uh, this week they were 2-0 uh, in both of their games, and that consequent, consequently led to a jump in the rankings. They moved up two spots uh, when the new AP poll was released uh, this week. So the two games of the week, as we had mentioned last week, Arkansas Pine Bluff, that was, I mean, there's not much to learn from that game. It's a, it's a game you had to win. Going into the week when we had previewed it, Arkansas Pine Bluff hadn't won a game they did end up winning one game before they played Iowa State, but I it, it wasn't really close, and it was just a game that, you know, it's on the schedule. You don't want to overlook it, but it's a game that you have to win uh, with the Cyclones ending up winning by 19 points. Uh, their, the second game of the week obviously was the probably one of the biggest um, of the season, so like one of their biggest tests that we thought we might have seen uh, at the beginning of the year, except for that first game in that NIT season tip-off, which we didn't think we would see that outcome. But first true road test of the season when they had Creighton. Um, as the announcers and commentators uh, mentioned throughout the game, it was an absolutely sold-out and packed arena, uh, if you didn't catch that for about 15 times that they brought that up uh, in Omaha. And it was, I, I mean, I'll say it, it was an absolutely ugly game for the entire first half. Both teams went into half tied at 23, thanks to Caleb Grill mainly for the Cyclones team, who was absolutely phenomenal off the bench. Caleb Grill coming in with putting in 16 points. Uh, he was perfect from three-point range, uh, four for four, and that was the spark that the Cyclones really needed in this game when the legs of Isaiah Brockington and Gabe Kalsher uh, combined for 14 points on um, three of 18 shooting. Well, welcome so to Gabe Kalsher. He will it, he will score 20 points one game, and then he will do that for pretty much the rest of the season. He was at Minnesota these last two or three years. I know all about Gabe Kalsher. Just just expect that performance for from him 80 percent of the time. Yeah, it was uh, tough to watch. Um, and, and also a game where Robert Jones, the backup center, came in and he played seven, t seven minutes total and fouled out. Um, it, but it was it was an absolutely miserable shooting night, thankfully, for Creighton as well uh, in the first half. Creighton did end up only shooting 42% uh, on the game. Iowa State shooting 41% in that game. But really the big key to the Cyclones' week was and this just seems to be something that's becoming a trend, is they force a ton of turnovers. Uh, 16 turnovers against Arkansas Pine Bluff, 20 against Creighton, and that those, those 20 turnovers against Creighton were one of the reasons why they actually were able to be in this game. They had 15 points off of those turnovers, eight fast break points, so your easy buckets. Um, and they limited their turnovers themselves. They only had 11, uh, which is below their season average. So it was they were clean in the areas that they needed to be because they were terrible from the field. Uh, one of the things that's uh, is sort of a bright spot of this team so far is free throw shooting seems to be getting better as the season goes along. Um, some of these players are starting to get into a good rhythm. So. I had, I had highlighted this already. They had very slow starts in both games. It didn't hurt them this week, but it definitely can this week. Uh, so what is this week? Well, it's Cyhawk. Uh, Thursday night, 8 p.m. on ESPN2. It's another good um, early season measurement game of you know how good and how resilient is this Cyclone men's basketball team. Uh, when you look at some of the comparisons between both teams coming in, Iowa coming in at 7-1, their only loss 
to the now number one team in the nation, Purdue. Uh, they played them really closely. That entire uh, basketball game ended up losing by single digits um, to a team that looks phenomenal. Um, but Iowa State will have a tough test. Um, and ESPN already has uh, their BPI out for this game. They're projecting a, or they're giving Iowa a 59. 0.9% chance to win this game. So even though Iowa State is ranked in at home, uh, the BPI favors Iowa. Good on good. Uh, we'll look at some of the statistics between both teams. Iowa, um, in their rankings, they are fourth in the nation in turnovers uh, per game. They only, uh, they only give up uh, 8.4 turnovers uh, in a game where Iowa State gives up 13.8 per game. Um, Iowa is second um, and this is according to the score uh, is where I'm getting all of my information. They're second in the nation right now uh, in offensive rating. Um, so they're they're putting the ball in the basket. They're not turning it over. It's a combination of a lot of stats there. Uh, Iowa State, though, you know, I, we just highlighted Iowa's offense and handling of the ball. Iowa State, they force 16 steals per game right now. Uh, that is... Uh, or well, not 16 steals per game. They're 16th in the country in steals per game, I should say, averaging 10.2 steals per game. Uh, and they are ninth in the country in defensive rating. So one of the a top five offensive rating versus a top 10 defensive rating team. It should be a fun one uh, in Hilton Coliseum. Um, apparently it's a Cardinal out for this game and the game is already sold out. So be sure to tune in on Thursday night uh, and watch that for the Cyclones. They do have one more game at the end of the week on Sunday. They're at home against Jackson State. This is also a must-win game. It's a two-win Jackson State team coming in to play the Cyclones. So, uh, Mike, do you want to fill us in on the net rating since you are our, our statistics guru? I'm our statistics what? Guru. Thank you. That's a better pronunciation. Um... Yeah, so for those of you who don't remember, the net ranking replaced RPI um, three or four years ago as the, um, as the way that the selection committee or as the rating system that selection committee uses to, um, as an input to the, the bracketing and seeding process. Um, so the first net rankings came out. Um, just uh, on Monday morning here. And Iowa State was ranked what I consider a surprising 20th. Um, some of the other more metrics-based systems, despite, um, like Ken Palm, for example, despite the hot start, still weren't quite believing in um, Iowa State. Ken Palm, for example, even after the Creighton win, um, still has Iowa State only 65th um, in the nation, mostly because of a really bad schedule that they've played. Um, up until till this point, according to Ken Palm, so that was that was good um, and surprising to see. So I liked uh, I liked that. That's a good sign for Iowa State. It means in the metric that matters, the Cyclones um, um, have a chance here. So that's good. Um, I don't know how often the net comes out. It's not calculated daily like RPI, um, which is uh, unfortunate. But then uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated on the Cyclones standing in the net um, going forward. Um, and also, just as a reminder, they did change the calculation um, on the net this year. So there used to be five factors involved in the net, um, and now there are only two. So they got rid of um, winning percentage, margin of victory, and I think opponent strength of schedule. I think were the three factors that they eliminated from the net um, this year, and now it's just a bunch like team efficiency stats um, that are used to calculate the net. So the net calculation did change. Um, we'll never know how the rankings would have shook out differently with the old calculation, but just so you're aware, the calculation did change um, this year. So keep that in mind going forward. Um, the calculations are also always changing in the playoff picture in the NFL because at least one unexpected thing happens pretty much uh, every week in the NFL. Um, and the, that was true again uh, this week. Um, it, I mean, there were 
some ugly games um, over the course of the weekend, some some strange results. Um, Kyle, you want to fill us in on the week of the NFL? I, I mean, I thought it was probably one of the worst slates uh, for football. It was very unexciting when you go and look at some of the matchups uh, of the week, looking at like a Rams versus Jaguars. You got the um, Jets playing... I see I don't even the Jets and the Eagles, you know. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily exciting on paper, but the best game that I thought the best slated game of the day was in the early window when the Chargers went out to Cincinnati to play the Bengals and this ended up being a blowout for Los Angeles. Joe Burrow did get hurt in this game. Um he had a very swollen pinky and hand on his throwing uh on his throwing hand. Um, so he had wasn't able to grip the football as well, and it just ended up being a bad game. Turnovers hurt the Bengals as the Chargers turned it into a blowout um, against Cincinnati. You remember Gardner Minshew, uh, former quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, now he's in Philadelphia, given the chance. Do you remember when he beat the Cyclones in a ball game? I, I don't know how that happened, but... Yes, uh, let's not reminisce about that. Um, he is still slinging it uh, when given the opportunity. Uh, he was very impressive for the Philadelphia Eagles. Granted, they're playing one of the three worst teams in the NFL in the New York Jets, uh, and he was able to lead them to victory. Uh, the football team stuffed the Raiders. They continue to win, and they're playing themselves right into uh, that division race with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, if they're able to continue continue winning and, uh, and the Cowboys aren't able to hold their own and hold their ground, they're just two games back right now. Um, so that could, could put some interesting uh, games down the stretch in that NFC East division. Pittsburgh, on the fringe of having their season go down the drain, is able to outlast Baltimore on what is truly the definition of a game of inches. Uh, Baltimore scores late to be down by one. They elect to go for two to win the game. And Mark Andrews was wide open. Lamar Jackson misses him by two, three inches on the pass. Uh, Very close, very tough. Uh, loss for the Ravens, but the Pittsburgh Steelers get it done. Speaking of getting it done, Mike, Motor City Dan Campbell gets his first win with the Detroit Lions, much to the dismay of all Minnesota Vikings fans. Mike, what is the status up north? I'm actually moderately surprised that Mike Zimmer didn't get fired today. I mean, I guess you probably didn't fire him because it's a short week and you play again on Thursday. And you don't really want to fire your coach when you only have three days before your next game. But I am moderately surprised that uh, that Mike Zimmer did not get fired. This was an embarrassing loss in pretty much all all aspects um, your offense was able, unable to get in the end zone in the red zone multiple times and missed three two-point conversion attempts over the course of the game. Um, that's not good, including one that was from the one-yard line after a Detroit penalty. Um, you just got to put those into the end zone, and it you know makes the difference between a win and a loss in some of these games. I mean, the defense, yes, it was beat up, but still, it was... It was Jared Goff for Pete's sake. Jared Goff has been awful this year, and you made him look like Kirk Cousins, basically, um, this week, which, I mean, isn't necessarily a great compliment, but, you know, it means he's at least decent. Um, it's, yeah, it's just embarrassing at this point. Um, it's probably, it's obviously, you know, bad for the season, and it's embarrassing loss to lose um, to the Lions, but if you're looking at it in the big picture, this is actually good for the franchise because I don't think there's any way that Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins um, survive this long term. Um, you can't survive this embarrassment long term. Um, and I think that's good for the franchise. They're not going to win a Super Bowl with this combination. I think that's pretty clear at this point. So I think this is good for the franchise. Believe it or not, that's the silver lining. This is good for the franchise. We can move on. We can move on to the next era and start the rebuild. Yeah, I mean, speaking of rebuild, they're probably going to be maybe at it already this season with the tough schedule ahead. 
Uh, Steelers, Bears, Rams, Packers, and then Bears. The Minnesota Vikings' chances at the playoffs could have could be dashed. They're not completely zero, but it's a tough slate. I mean, they're uh, still like thirty percent ish, so it's not terrible. Yeah, it's not terrible, but things need to happen, and it is a tough slate for them. The Chiefs are back on a roll again. They have won now twelve straight against Denver. I mean, there isn't really much to say against in this game Denver looked atrocious uh Denver doesn't match up well against the Chiefs not for the past six seasons at least so it was just a must-win game uh the biggest game of the week potentially especially for seeding and playoff picture is the game that is currently happening on Monday night as we record this podcast the New England Patriots are playing in a blizzard up in Buffalo New York that game has massive implications especially uh, in the AFC, uh, number for the number one overall seed in the AFC, um, the winner of that game, uh, if it's the Patriots, they'll maintain that number one overall seed in that AFC playoff race. If they lose, they're bumped all the way down to the fifth seed, and the Bills will jump up to number one in that in the overall playoff picture. So big implications, massive game, and you know. We'll inform you on everything as it continues to play out this season. What has been playing out for a while, and you know, since we are such a, we are so invested in the world of sports that we reach out to one of our good friends and NBA aficionado, Arion. You know, you want to you want to take the lead on our NBA uh, segment this evening? I would love to. So am I am I correct that you guys really haven't talked about it at all? That that's correct. I okay. have we even mentioned I guess we implied that the season started based on <laughs> the fact that Josh has made right NBA related write that down predictions. But other than that, I don't think we've actually formally mentioned the season started. Sweet. So let's just let's cover some basic stuff real quick. Uh Kyrie Irving plays on the Brooklyn Nets, not playing because he decided he was not gonna get vaccinated. Uh, and New York has a policy in place that you cannot be in a group setting without being vaccinated indoors. So everybody else got it. Kyrie Irving, you know, Mr. Woke, Flat Earth, as he does, decided that he needed to be a, quote, voice for the voiceless. And uh, also just hasn't made any public comments, so I'm not sure why he's a voice for anybody. But uh, he's sticking it out so far about a quarter of the way through the season. He has not gotten vaccinated, and it doesn't look like he will play the season. Um, I don't know what the Vegas odds are on it, but if I was a betting man, I would put money on the fact that Kyrie might just retire. He's kind of a crazy person. Uh, I took two months off last season because he felt like it, basically. So you never know. Uh, ben Simmons, not playing for the 76ers. After an atrocious offseason or postseason last year, uh, avoided a wide-open dunk over the very intimidating rim protector Trey Young to lose Game 7 last year. Got eviscerated by all the fans, all the media, all offseason. Told the 76ers he didn't want to come back. He wanted to get traded. Daryl Morey, the GM of the 76ers, said, I'm not going to trade you unless we get a good return. And they haven't. So they're at an impasse. He's not playing. Uh, Later on, his agent claimed it was for mental health reasons, which kind of puts them in a bind where they can't say that that's not true. But also, it's skeptical that that wasn't the first reason in the first place. So, two All-Stars right there are not playing for very different reasons, but both of them basically non-basketball related. And then your last big player you have not playing this season so far uh, would be Zion Williamson. And when I say a big reason he's not playing, I mean it's because he is gigantic. Uh, There are rumors near the offseason that he went up over 300 pounds. You can look up many different pictures of him, and he looks huge like you should just move him over to right tackle for the saints or put him as nose tackle he is huge he looks ridiculous and he was not a small guy in the first place so they are working on him he's had a setback recently he was injured in the offseason just this week he said he had a setback in his recovery with a foot injury which is what happens when you're 310 pounds um so let's see Kind of the surprises of the season so far, people that were not expected to do well and just are. Uh, the Bulls are 16-8, and eight, which not a lot was expected from them, but they did make a lot of off-season moves this, uh, this off-season. Biggest one being bringing in Lonzo Ball, who is very underrated. 
done a great job for them. Uh, the Cavs, surprisingly, are 13-11. and 11. The Cleveland Cavaliers were a joke all offseason. All they did was acquire big men, and somehow they're doing well with their giant, giant rotation. And then the Wizards, after trading Russell Westbrook out to L.A., are sitting at 14-10 and 10 with their players they acquired from there as well. Um, they're definitely exceeding expectations. And then as far as the other end, disappointing seasons would definitely be the Lakers, who are sitting at 12-12. and 12. The Pelicans are sitting at 7-19. and 19. And the Denver Nuggets are at 11-11. and 11. Uh, The common theme there is injuries. LeBron has been out uh, pretty much every single year since he's been to L.A. He's missed time with injuries, so kind of a little bit different than his almost Iron Man status when he was with Cleveland and Miami. Uh, the Pelicans, as mentioned, have not had Zion Williamson this year at all. And then the Denver Nuggets have just been destroyed with injuries recently. Um, Jamal Murray didn't play at all this year. Michael Porter Jr. was out, and then it was announced that he was going to get back surgery for the third time on his back and uh, is probably going to miss the entire season. Um, Dozier is also out, and I want to say there's even another injury, so they're missing a ton of people and just trying to get through it. Um, let's see. I got some fun little facts here. Uh, Chris Paul, CP3, is the 47th person in NBA history to score 20,000 points, but he is the first in NBA history to score 20,000 points while also having 10,000 assists. Uh, Stephen Curry is 23 three-pointers away from Ray Allen's overall spot in three-pointers made. Ray Allen made 2,973 three-pointers in 1,300 games. Uh, so that's about 2.29 three-pointers made per game on 40%. And Steph Curry has made 29.51, and that is in 784 games. So ridiculously quick and efficient. He is taking a, he's making about 3.76 three-pointers per game on 43.7%. Um, Steph Curry also has the second, he is currently working on the second most consecutive threes made in a game streak. He has 147 games straight with the three-pointer made. Uh, first place for that record, uh, who would guess? It is Stephen Curry also with 157. So some fun things that are happening in the NBA. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder set the record for largest loss in NBA history with a 73-point loss to the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> How do you lose by that many points? I didn't watch any of that no, game. No, I didn't either. Um, if I'm correct, I want to say they scored about 76, so they almost lost by more points than they scored. Has that ever happened before in NBA history? Probably. I'm not sure. It probably has back in the old days of no shot clock and holding the ball forever. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, the Thunder are in full tank and rebuild mode. If I'm correct, they have about 12 first round picks in the next three or four years. It's something ridiculous like that. So they are just completely giving up they don't care about these games they just want to get draft picks and rebuild like that could go bad for them when they maybe lose Shea Gilgis Alexander who is one of their only players that's worth anything but that's the strategy that their GM Sam Presti is going for right now another fun tidbit from that game was Jeremiah Robinson Earl uh, landed a solid negative 56 in the plus minus, which is the net amount of points that your team and the other team score. So he got outscored by 56 points when he was on the floor. And that was in 24 minutes. Uh, the NBA, the NBA record is negative 57. I was about to ask if that was an NBA <laughs> Yeah, it's negative 57. It was done by Manny Harris, which you are forgiven if you've never heard of him. I sure haven't. He played, uh for the Cavaliers, and it was in a game versus the Lakers. And he did that. He got negative 57 in 41 minutes, though, so negative 56 in 24 is pretty impressive. And to add to that, a 57-point loss on the road in April is the largest home, or sorry, the largest road loss. So the Thunder, in less than a year, have set the record for largest loss, largest home loss, and largest road loss in the NBA. So you can see how competitive they are right now. <laughs> And that was a, a fifty. Yeah, things are on a roll in Oklahoma City right now. Yeah. So a fifty-seven point loss and a seventy-three point loss, pretty darn good. Uh, the Warriors and the Suns are currently tied for the best record in the NBA. The Warriors are killing it. Stephen Curry is on fire. Everything is clicking. 
and everybody else is playing their parts perfectly for Golden State. Looks like they got right back to where they wanted to after one year, just kind of being terrible. Um, they're they doing all this without Clay Thompson, who's that is still correct. not quite back from his knee injury. Yep. Uh, they're incredibly deep, though. Um, only Stephen Curry, Andrew Wiggins, and Jordan Poole are averaging double-digit scoring on the season. Um, but 10 out of 14 players on their roster that have any minutes worth anything are averaging over 5 points. So pretty much everybody is putting in their work, but almost no, they're just splitting it really evenly. And yeah, like, uh, like Mike had said, all of that is without Clay Thompson, who should be returning sometime within the month. It was estimated around Christmas time. He said he'd like to get back within a week, but it could be a month depending on what the doctors say. And I wouldn't be surprised if after almost two years missed, he takes a stint with the G League and then has limited minutes, and he might be at full activation, I would assume, around late January is what I would guess. Your, your fantasy team would probably appreciate that. I, I would be very excited. He's sitting there. He's ready to go. And then just a little... What's up? Do you get points for the G League? Do you get G League points? <laughs> you know, that's up to you. You're the... Uh, oh, no, you're not the GM, are I'm you? Not, I'm not the... I'm the fantasy oh, football yeah. commissioner, not the that's basketball That's why we have these ridiculous rules, my bad. <laughs> so then a fun little thing I thought would be to check in on our Cyclones in the NBA. So we have some little Cyclone stats here. Uh, Monte Morris and Tyrese Halliburton have both started every game for their team. They're in Denver and Sacramento, uh, respectively. Monte Morris is averaging a career high in points and usage rate. However, he is also averaging a career low in effective field goal percentage. He sits at about uh, 25% assist ratio, and he's looking at a 3.21 assist to turnover ratio. So not as good as he was doing in college, but that is kind of his calling card still. With all the injuries that I mentioned earlier with Denver, he has been kind of thrust into a bigger role. He's their starting point guard now that Jamal Murray went down. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton has been doing well ever since he got to the NBA. The Kings are a dumpster fire. They have been for years, but he's making it work, doing what he can with uh, De'Aaron Fox in the backcourt. Uh, the 76ers were hit pretty hard with COVID earlier in the year, lost a lot of people Um Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, a couple other guys. So George Niang actually started five games. He has played in all of them, and he's actually been very efficient and doing well. He did make the move this offseason from the Utah Jazz to the Philadelphia 76ers, and he's filling in his role really well as a spacer for Joel Embiid, managing to knock it down from the outside while playing his kind of old man game at the power forward. Uh, Abdul Nader has not started a game, but he has played in 14 of the games. He has regressed this year. He was an integral piece of the Suns last year, getting to the championship game. He looks a little bit more like he did his junior year of college, where he was one of my least favorite players on the Iowa State Cyclones, where he just could not find a shot he didn't like, but also struggled to find a shot he could make. So he is not having the best year, but he's trying his best. Um, more, more frustrating than Jamil McKay? Um, no, no, not more frustrating because I felt like <laughs> Jameel McKay should have been an NBA player, but he never made it there. That's sort of how I feel about George Condit, too. Like, maybe <sighs> he doesn't quite have NBA talent, but they just never got their part. That, that's pretty much yeah. how I feel about George Condit, too. Jameel McKay was so athletic and so quick with his lateral movement. Um, he had great finishing. He had, you saw that chemistry he had with Monte Morris. They could finish an alley from pretty much anywhere on the court. If he would have just worked on even a mid-range game, like just get out of the paint, shoot a couple jump shots. I guarantee you he has a place as a backup big in the NBA right now, but he never worried about it. Pretty much as soon as Hoidberg left, he just stopped working on his game at all and threw big fits and spent more time posting stuff on Instagram than he did on the court. And we saw what that got him. I mean, he got a championship, but it was in the Australian Basketball League. So what does that really count for? Not much. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker started the year injured. He has started eight games, though, on the uh, underachieving Lakers team. You kind of hope that LeBron can teach him a couple things. He's been doing pretty well, similar to what he did at Iowa State. He's kind of a scorer. If he can get you secondary stats, that's great. Even when he was at Iowa State, I kind of compared him to uh, Carmelo Anthony, who is actually also on the Lakers right now. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if that helps out his game a lot. A lot of ISO scoring, a lot of jab stepping, uh, just a lot of shooting in general when you don't necessarily need to, which has obviously taken a backseat when you're on a team with LeBron and Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. You don't get to shoot the ball as much as you'd like to. And then last and also definitely least uh, is Matthew Thomas. He is on the Chicago Bulls this year. He has played in seven games for a grand total of 27 minutes. So he's not really doing much there. But the fact that he's a guy who, you know, came in pretty highly recruited, had a rough year, didn't necessarily go as well as he wanted in college, went overseas to Spain, won a championship there, and has worked his way into the NBA. Just still being there at all, I think, is a, a pretty good testament to work ethic and that people value his skill set. And wasn't he a pretty good piece uh, for the Toronto Raptors? Was he on their championship team, or was he there, like, one of the year before you know, or after? I want to say he was there the year after. He may have been there the year before. I can't remember. If he was there that year, he did not really play in the playoffs or anything. He was kind of a if-you-got-time guy. He did play very efficiently when he was with the Raptors, but they just had enough people on there. That was one of their bench mob years where you had Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG, and Anobi all coming off the bench, who are all really good NBA starters now, as well as, I think, Gary Trent. So, um... He wasn't getting a lot of playing time, but he played well when he did. And uh, that's pretty much what I got, unless you guys, you know, have any questions about this world that you're not familiar with. What What are your actual thoughts on, on the Timberwolves? I hear a lot from the on local the media, but the local media is biased. I want to hear what an unbiased perspective is on the Timberwolves. Sure. Um, I think they have a lot of promise, honestly. Uh, I flip back and forth a lot over whether or not I think Carl Anthony Towns can be a number one option on a team that has any championship aspirations. I guess my question is, and the same, I guess I would ask you this question for the Vikings as well. Do you feel like the only option is a championship? You said Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins don't have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Is that the only thing that matters? If you go there and you get four AFC championship games or NFC championship games, sorry, is that good enough? Do you have to win a championship? Sure. For the Vikings, no, that's not good enough. For the Timberwolves, absolutely that's good <laughs> enough. The Timberwolves have been the joke of the NBA that's fair. for the last thirty for the last twenty five years. Yeah. So yes. For the Timberwolves, that is good enough. For the Vikings, no, they've won four NFC championships already in the history. Yeah. That's not good enough. Win a Super Bowl. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. So in my opinion, I think that the I think the Timberwolves are for real. They're sitting at about 9 in the standings right now. They're at 11 and 12, um, and I think that's sustainable. I think they could sneak into the playoffs easily, uh, especially with the uh, play-in game happening now. But the fact that they managed to draft a guy who I was very skeptical about coming out of the draft and Anthony Edwards, all this talk about how he wanted to be a rapper or a football player or this or that, I was like, I don't think this guy's really into the game. I don't think he cares about basketball that much, but he has been a stud. Since about the half, the back half of his freshman rookie year, and he has been killing it. And even if I don't think Ant or not Anthony Davis, excuse me, Carl Anthony can be that guy, I think that with a couple years, Anthony Edwards could be that guy. He has the swag, he has the leadership, he talks it. He's younger than both Carl Anthony and D'Angelo Russell, but he just says what he needs to say. And I've been impressed by him with both the years he's been in the league. And I think that could be a big three for you guys. I don't think that it's going to win you a championship, but I do think within three years, I would say within three years, you guys could easily get into the playoffs as long as it doesn't get blown up and nobody gets injured. So I think it's legit. I, I would take that from the Timberwolves, to be honest. They've just been I, I would so agree. irrelevant for so long that I would take that. I, I don't even know that they've been irrelevant. They've been so not good that people have made fun of them. Irrelevant is the Orlando Magic. When's the last time you heard anything about the Orlando Magic? Can you name me three players off the Orlando Magic? Uh, Cole Anthony, um, Jonathan Isaac. Doesn't count. And, he's on the IR. Uh, sorry. Uh, Nikola Vucevic. Nikola Vucevic is now on the Chicago Vucevic. Bulls. Dang it. Ah, <laughs> uh, I got Cole Anthony. You did get Cole Anthony. I mean, one of the guys has a hit rap song, you know, written after him. How could you forget Mo Bamba? 
I didn't know he actually made it into the NBA. <laughs> he knew he made it into the NBA, but I didn't think he still played. And believe it or not, if I'm correct, I think the Magic have both Wagners on it. They have Mo Wagner and his brother Franz Wagner, so pretty exciting stuff there. They did just draft Jalen Suggs, who was a pretty well-liked recruit coming out of college, but they are so irrelevant, you, you won't even see them on ESPN. Nobody will talk about them. They don't matter at all. Well, from irrelevance to the relevant, before we end this awesome segment, thank you, Arian. Who are your two teams from each conference that we need to watch for the rest of the year? Basically, the two teams that you think are going to be have the best chance to cut down, well, I'm saying cut down the nets, but, you know, take home the NBA Finals at the end of this season. Oh, okay, so you're looking for championship contenders. Okay, so from the Eastern Conference, uh, a lame answer, but it's got to be my answer. In a, it's got to be the Milwaukee Bucks. They're the defending champions. They've looked great this year. They're not in first place right now. They're sitting at third in the Eastern Conference, but they're killing it. Uh, Giannis showed that he could be that guy in the playoffs, and I believe that he can do that again. I would say the Brooklyn Nets if we ever thought Kyrie was going to come back, but I have my doubts that he will show up this season. If Kyrie comes back, I think it's hard to beat the Brooklyn Nets, but my money is on the Bucks. Uh, the Chicago Bulls are sitting in second, but to be honest, even if they make it there in the regular season, I don't think they're making it in the playoffs. And then from the West, I got to be honest, it's got to be the, the Warriors. They're sitting at 19-4. and four. They have the best record tied to the Phoenix Suns, and they don't even have one of their better, you know, all-star players back. If Klay Thompson can come back at even 70% of what he is, like, you got to be scared. You got to be worried about it. The Phoenix Suns are killing it. They've done well, but you got to worry. See, if CP3 is a part of your team and, you know, you rely on him, he could be injured at any point. He he gets injured all the time. CP3 to five weeks is a nickname people like to give him. There's a reason for that. I think the Jazz are always underrated. People don't like to look at teams that are built around defense. They want that offense all the time. Um, if they can get it right, I think the Jazz are a people to they're a team to keep your eye on for kind of a dark horse. But if I was just picking one team to put my money on, it's gonna be the Bucks and the Warriors. And that's kind of boring, but I, I believe that's probably your best money. If you're looking for dark horses, then I'm going to go uh, the Charlotte Hornets. Mm, there's and a dark horse. That's right. They're killing it. LaMelo has been amazing since he came over from Latvia to be in there. And Kelly Oubre is actually playing like somebody who knows how to play basketball instead of what he looked like last year in Golden State. And then... Uh, in the Western Conference, it's either got to be Portland or the Clippers. The Clippers don't feel like that much of a dark horse, but without Ky- or Kawhi in, you know, you don't trust them that much. You know what? No. I'll go Grizzlies. Grizzlies or Blazers, count on it. Portland's sitting at 10, but Damian's been injured all year. He's not even playing right now. He hasn't been very good to start the season, I should know. He's also on my fantasy team. Um, and the Grizzlies are just, they're young guys who wanted a lot. They have a ton of good players. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make it deep in the postseason this season. They will within the next couple years. They're killing it. Jaron Jackson, um, John Morant. Who else? They have a ton of great guys. Shoot. Um, let's see. Show me that roster. They have Kyle Anderson, slow-mo. Desmond Bain has been killing it from TCU, if you guys remember him. Uh, Brandon Clark. Let's see. A couple guys. I mean, they're just doing it the way that it's supposed to be done. They're kind of going back to that grit and grind mentality where they had, you know, uh, all the old guys. Gasol, Randolph, Conley. I feel like they kind of embody that in a new school. They got Steven Adams on their team. That's one of my guys. Love him in the NBA. He hasn't been that great this year, but he always provides that toughness even though he's not in the box score. So those are my predictions there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ayan. We certainly appreciate your NBA input because I appreciate you having me. We don't know that much. So hopefully we'll have you on for sure again later in the year to talk more about NBA as we have more insights about the season. For now, we'll move on to our signature segments. Um, 
We'll start with Mike. Stupid rules, as always. We're gonna give you a, a another another two-parter. So the first one is gonna be a more traditional instance of Mike. Stupid rules, and then we're gonna have a rules debate here um, with the four of us um, for the second part. So the first one, we're gonna talk about something that happened. I believe this was in the Iowa-Michigan game. Is that correct, Kyle? Yes. Uh, so, yes, it was. It was with yeah. So in the Iowa-Michigan game. There was a, a snap followed by a snap to the quarterback followed by a backwards pass. Um, and then that person who received the pitch slash backwards pass uh, was in trouble and they weren't going to get anywhere. So they threw the ball away, right? Like outside the tackle box, they threw the ball away um, across the line of scrimmage. Now they got flagged for intentional grounding, which was interesting because if you're outside the tackle box and you throw the ball across the line of scrimmage, you're normally good. But um, according to um, the approved ruling, um, if you look at the in the NCAA rulebook under the approved ruling seven uh, for rule seven section three article two part nine, it says so. It's an approved ruling. So the situation um, is that the quarterback um, drops back in the pocket to pass and throws a backwards pass to A22, who carries the ball outside of the tackle box. And when he's about to be tackled, he throws a forward pass that crosses the neutral zone and lands away from, and not in the area of an eligible receiver. So just like I described, the approved ruling for this is a foul for intentional grounding, with the explanation being the tackle box rule exception applies only to the player who controls the snap or there was a, uh, who controls the snap. So basically the quarterback, or if like it's a direct snap to a running back, etc., is the only one, um, it only applies to the player who controls the snap. So that's going to be loss of down um, at the spot of the foul is essentially the result of that play. So you cannot, or if you receive a pitch or a backwards pass, you do not get out-of-pocket protection for a um, um a pass like that. It's just not a thing for running back. So there you go. You cannot um, do that if you are not the quarterback. You gotta gotta get it near an eligible receiver. Any questions on that one? Quarterback's the most important. Nobody else matters. Got it. And we're gonna get into that even more here in this next uh, debate. So for those of you who didn't see in the Pittsburgh Wake Forest game, in the ACC championship game, um, Pittsburgh's quarterback took off um, and he was running downfield and he had some space. Um, and as defenders were starting to close in on him a little bit, he um, did a sort of fake slide thing um, where he uh, he like half faked his slide and then uh, ended up keep running and ran for a touchdown. Um, and this has sparked a lot of debate, right? Because, you know, with a quarterback, if he starts his slide, you can't hit him or you're going to get a personal foul, um, right? If you're going to have quarterbacks fake sliding, this is going to mean all kinds of trouble or could potentially mean um, all kinds of uh, trouble for the, uh, the defenders. So I just want to get on all you guys' take if we might need a rule, because this is completely legal right now. So if we might need a rule change, to either take away that quarterback sliding protection or say they're marked down right when they fake that slide. What are you guys' thoughts? Or are we good as it is? We, we can go around the table. Anybody, if, feel free to start us. What are you guys' thoughts on this? Arian, go for it. So, if I am correct, and I could be wrong, um, I want to say that per the NFL rulebook, and that's different from the NCAA rulebook, a quarterback is marked down when they begin their slide. It's not where you end up; it's where you start your slide. So That's technically, the same in college as well. Okay, yes. technically, if you decided that he was initiating a slide, you could have called him down right there, and you could have called the the touchdown back. Correct. So if you want to end the fake slides, then you're more than welcome to do that. If you feel like he started a slide and then aborted out of the slide, just call it that he started it and it. Mark him down right there, and you end the whole argument. There's no problem with it. However, let's just look at this here. In This has happened across time. Um, things happen in college. The NFL turns its nose up to it because it's gross and, you know, it's college and we're better than that. And then eventually we start doing it in the NFL. Who is the winningest coach and strategist in the NFL? That would be 
Bill Belichick, right? And Bill Belichick is most known for uh, manipulating rules and uh, working on stuff so that he can get it done when nobody else gets it done because they assume it's not right. So is it really wrong to work the rules? Is it wrong to see where the boundaries lie? That seems like what people who win do. So in my opinion, if you're a smart coach, put that in your playbook. Do it on purpose. Find all those little sections that make a referee freak out. You need to do the football version of what James Harden does every game. Find people's arms, jump on them, make you call a foul. Like, it, you should find every single advantage to your... Make somebody, if you can make somebody win the game for you, if you can get the refs on your side, that's 100% what you should do. I say fake slide all day long. So the verbiage of the rule in the NCAA is the ball should be dead when the ball carrier obviously begins a feet first slide. To me, that was an obvious feet first slide and the ball should have been dead. However, I do agree with your whole gamesmanship thing, Ariane, 100%. Right. Bend the rules. Rules are meant to be bent. But easiest way to solve this is just to, you know, get the officials together like they do at every preseason meetup and be like, hey, if you see this, the ball's dead. It seems pretty straightforward to me. So you think yeah. it can just be be addressed with a, a point of emphasis instead of a, a, a straight up rule change, basically? I would, a, I would say so. A point so. of emphasis in the beginning and then an approved ruling as well. Just, just for extra impact. And not that not and I'm not going to be out here condoning this. Don't we don't we don't need this. I mean, should quarterbacks be allowed to be hit a little bit more often? Maybe. Am I getting upset with some of the very light contact and penalties that are getting thrown? Maybe. But if a quarterback chooses to do that again and a defender absolutely lays them out, what are quarterbacks not going to do anymore? They're not going to. They're not going to try that. So I don't think it's something that ultimately is going to stay around that long. But I think there needs to be like that point of emphasis clause that if you see this, that quarterback is giving themselves up. That ball is dead right at that spot. Moving right along into our accountability session, um, it was a. Up and down week, I'll say. Uh, no, it was mostly a down week. Who am I kidding? Um, like normal for us uh, here in our accountability session. We did have one correct prediction. Um, I predicted before the start of the 2020 season that baseball would have a strike or a lockout in the next two years. Um, they did that. The, the lockout did happen um, this week. Uh, we'll give you more info on that next week, but you do just need to know that it is ongoing. There is a lockout. Um, so for that, I get a ding, 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 ding. Wyatt, I could have taken this off the board last week, but I missed it. Wyatt predict that a safety will occur on an opponent in Jack Trice Stadium. That's the part I missed last week. I forgot it was in Jack Trice Stadium. Um, the bowl game is not played in Jack Trice Stadium, so for that, Wyatt gets a nah. 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 Um, Wyatt also predicted that the Cyclones would be in the top 10 in the final college football playoff ranking. This was the final college football playoff ranking. They, they don't do a ranking at the end of the year. Um, their work is done. They set the college football playoff. So that was the final college football playoff ranking. So for that, um, Wyatt gets a nah. Nah. And lastly, I predicted that Oklahoma State would get to the playoff. Um, they lost that Big 12 championship game. And even if they won, they probably still don't get there. So for that, I get a nah. Um, I'll start getting this back up on the board. Um, everybody I've listened to in the last 24 hours is basically already anointing Alabama into this college football playoff game like Cincinnati's a joke. Um, I don't think they're as good as Alabama, but Alabama's also not as good as they normally are. They should have lost to Auburn. Like, they deserved to lose that game. If Auburn wasn't just totally stupid. They would have won that game. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to go as far as saying Cincinnati wins, but Cincinnati definitely covers that minus 13 and a half spread. This game is not going to be a blowout for Alabama. It's just not. I like that prediction. Not going to lie. Um, what are we thinking? Double? Triple? Man, I give it a triple. Like, I saw what they did against Georgia, and anybody who thinks that Cincinnati is as good as Georgia, I disagree. So I'm going to go ahead and give that a triple because I'm going to bet that they do not cover. I'm fine with that. Yeah. 
Ah, boo. Fine. Sounds good. Triple it is. We have from Josh this week. Is he still alive? Yeah, he's doing good. He's got some great seats at the Bucks game tonight. So, Josh, I hope you enjoy that. Yeah, um, man. He's, That's he's making he is making a prediction about that Bucks game, um, and he predicted that the Bucks would win that game against the Cavaliers. Um, let me see. Before the game started, which is, I guess, when we have to judge this from, um, the Bucks had a eighty-four percent chance yeah. to win this game at I'm home. Lying. So single, I think this is maybe yeah. single. maybe a single. That might be like a bunt infield, like. <laughs> routine throw out at first. I don't know if you get any points for that. They are up 61 to 52 early in the third quarter here as well. So that's looking good for Josh. Wyatt, what do you I got? like it. I'm going to say that uh, the Iowa State Clemson Bowl game will be decided by more than seven points. Not saying who wins, just that the outcome will nope. be more than seven. Yep. Um, Double? Triple? I don't know. Double? I guess a double. Double, it's very double. non-specific. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I can't put any percentages on that, so we'll just say double. That sounds good. Kyle? Uh, for another non-percentage one for you, uh, Caleb Grill will hit at least three three-pointers in the Cyhawk game this week. Um, At least three. This is probably a triple. I mean, mm-hmm. what does he have for three-pointers on the year? It's probably not that many. He well, made four versus Creighton. Well, yes, but just in general. Yeah, I'm pulling it up here. His three-point percentage is 46%. It's pretty good. He's made 14 three He's actually leading the team in three-pointers made. So maybe this is just a double. Hold on now. Let's see. 14. He's played in eight games. So uh, 14 divided by eight. It's under oh. two. Yeah. I mean, you said three. I maybe give it. Uh, that's a, a double. I'd say a double. Why? It sounds good to you. Sounds good to me. Double it is. Ariana, what are you gonna predict for us this week? Uh, my prediction is that uh, George Condit, our six foot nine, two thirty four functioning center, can actually maybe out rebound our three six foot three, one hundred ninety six pound guard uh, in the Cyhawk game. Uh, he so- has not done that. That guard uh, so being Tyrese Hunter? Correct. He is our Tyrese leading Hunter. rebounder. No, Isaiah Brockington is our leading or, rebounder. Or sorry. Yeah, Isaiah Brockington would be the person so I'm talking about This prediction is about Condit and Brockington? Uh, yes, correct. Okay. So yeah, so, Isaiah Brockington leads the team with 60 rebounds. Correct. And... He has 45 defensive rebounds. Yes. And, and George Condit, Condit has is... 19. <laughs> yeah, George Condit is second on the team with 41 rebounds. And almost all of those have come from the offensive end, over half. Yes, yes. Uh, boy. What is this, a double, a triple? Probably a triple, because doesn't Iowa have, I don't know, better bigs? They do have a really good big man. Not quite Luca Garza good, but still a good big man. I'm fine with the triple. So here's my question to you guys. Um, do you feel like this is just a weird... Like sixth sense for Isaiah Brockington, where he's just very good at getting defensive boards, or do you feel like it's a Stephen Adams, Russell Westbrook type situation where the scheme is for Condit to box out so Isaiah Brockington can get it and run the break? Like, is that well, purposefully schemed? I haven't watched closely enough. Me neither, to, but to I was thinking about it when I was other. looking, preparing for this. I'm like, it almost has to be a scheme see, thing, do you think? Yeah, see, I the little bit that I watched in the uh, both the Arkansas Pine Bluff and the Creighton game this week, George Condit would let the ball bounce on the defensive side typically before he even made a motion to go get it. So I almost wonder if the emphasis from TJ this year has been you don't get your ass off that guy until that ball hits the court, and then you go after it. And, I mean, for a lot of teams where their head coach coaches defensive rebounding, at least drills that I've been a part of, is you box out, the ball hits the floor, and then you go get the ball. Because if, if you're still boxing out at that point, ideally no one's getting the ball. Because so. Condit is leading on the offensive boards 22. The second person is Isaiah Brockington at 15. But on the defensive end, on the boards, Isaiah Brockington at 45, 
uh, Jazz Kuntz at 27, Tyrese Hunter at 21, Gabe Kalsher at 20, and then George Condit at 19. He is fifth on the team at defensive rebounds. He's a six foot nine guy. He has, I mean, he's not bad at rebounding. It almost has to be intentional by TJ, I would think. Yeah, I'll have to watch. That's something I'll keep an eye on here in yeah. this week's games, and we'll see what we can see if we can figure that out. So definitely keep an eye on it because that's something that came up to me when I was looking through the stat sheet. I hadn't thought about it until I was looking, but it almost has to be intentional, unless he just forgets how to use his arms. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's a good good thing to keep an eye on, though. With a triple, single, two doubles, and a concluding triple. That concludes our Write That Down Prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 154 of the 8311 cast. Hope to see you back here again next week for 155. But until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts... Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Ariane Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.